This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Literary Briefs Edition with Office, which means we're already drunk if we're starting. I'm your host, Erica Lance. With me today is... J.M. Paquette. And our ghost today, ghost today. Wow. <laughs> you have ghosted me. I have ghost. The ghost of S.F. Sterling is here. I don't even know how that's possible because, okay. I'm going to talk about what I'm drinking now because I am thoroughly enjoying it as we can all tell. It's Girl in the Dragon Wine. It's a Malbec. I did this because a uh, fantasy writer, dragons. I'm going to oh. finish filling up my cup. I am, of course, using our drinking with author swag which people can get and be a part of. Um, Jen. Oh, look. There's like, there's a cat. Okay. Um, Mostly a real cat. Yes. Yes. Um, Probably smarter than all of us, to be honest. Jen, what are you drinking? I'm, I'm drinking holiday black tea. It's not very exciting. Tell me about this cat. What's, what's your cat's name? Excuse me. Before we talk about the cat, (laughs) SM, what are you presently drinking? Since I think we emptied your bottle of wine. So yes, I was drinking a California Merlot. I am now drinking Coca-Cola zero. Okay. Which actually tastes fairly like Coca-Cola and has no sugar. Sugar is contraindicated for me. I do understand. Mm -hmm. Do understand. Okay. So we have an author cat which may be the most important guest we've ever had on this podcast, do introduce us to the author cat. This is Mifanwi, oh, which is a Welsh word that means the rare one. And she's been with me for 21 years. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my nice. goodness. And she looks very happy. She's like, hello, Dad. Okay, I'm now done with you. Welcome to being a cat. Yes. I have this much acceptance of you, and I have moved on. Okay, so literary briefs is rapid fire questions. My first question is, what is your favorite book of all time? Ooh, fiction or nonfiction? Yes, you choose. I don't care. It's a question. You can answer it however you want. Um, okay. That would have to be Paul Anderson. I was sort of raised on his stuff once I graduated from Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um... I think Tau Zero, Very cool. as far as science why? fiction goes. Hmm? Why? 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 Well, it it combines close character study because it's set on a spaceship, and you know, the characters are imprisoned with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, the total freedom of interstellar exploration involves being essentially stuck in a nuclear submarine in vacuum, and uh, it has like the death of the universe and the birth of another. It's got enormous scope. It's um, for the time scientifically fairly robust and it combines all those features in a very entertaining way. And it's only about 80,000 words long, which in those days was the standard length for a science fiction novel. Hmm. So I just like enjoyed the hell out of it. I later came to actually correspond with uh, Poole and he came and visited me and uh, that was an honor. So he was very kind to me when I was a baby author, so I've tried to pass it on. That is awesome. uh, you know, pay it forward. Um, yeah, so I, I'd have to say that. But, you know, I've got a lot of favorite books. I see that. Uh, least favorite book of all time. Least favorite book of all time? Well, I once won a prize at a convention on a panel for worst 
science fiction or fantasy book of all time. And it was Slave Girl of Gore. <laughs> and I, I, I won it without argument, without you know, any sort of like analysis necessary. I just read one sentence that was 500 words long. Yep. No, seriously, it was a sentence 500 words long. I, so I'm sort of proud of that. I am disappointed you read that. Um, so that uh, that begs one of my favorite questions, which I'm stealing Just from two Jen. pages of it. Oh, oh nauseating. Um, do you finish a book regardless, or will you chuck it? I'll chuck it if it's really bad. But I generally don't buy it unless I've got some sort of like interest in it. Um, generally speaking, if I really get into an author, I'll look them up and buy everything and, or at least take a look at everything they've written. And, you know, some of it is egregiously bad. I mean, I won't name any names. Um, but even an egregiously bad book by an otherwise good author usually will have something valuable in it. Uh, so I do the chucking bit before I buy the book. Yeah, I'm I, I'm a firm believer. I, I won't. I just can't. Uh, Jen has recently learned this skill of throwing away the books when they're not good. Jen would be die hard. She would finish the book all the time. And I'm like, I, I do not have the time in my life to dedicate to this stupidity. So I'm moving on from it. It took and, a long time, but I finally decided my time was worth more and I should give up on certain. certain but that's self-esteem. I know, right? It took me till I was 40. <laughs> Otherwise, I was like, no, the author put work into this. I owe it to them to finish it. Yeah, but it's shitty work, and I shouldn't finish it. Yes. Remember, the author is the suppliant. Yes. Yes. I need to remember that. Um, so tell us about your writing process. So you, you, like, certain, what's your, how do you do, how do you do the writing? <laughs> Um, and that almost sounded like a drunk question. I'm going to give you mad props for that, knowing you didn't drink a single thing. Really How did late. you do your writing thing? <laughs> like, do you start on paper and then move to the computer? Do you write in the morning? Do you listen to music? Walk us through your, your process. Well, I write on screen. Uh, as soon as computers were available, I switched to that. Mm -hmm. And my books got twice as long. <laughs> it's easier. <laughs> Believe me, I, I started on a manual typewriter and it's a lot easier to transcribe the thought onto the page. Um, you notice that science fiction books in general got a lot longer when people started. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It used to be 60 to 80,000 words was average. Now it's twice that. But anyway, um, uh, generally speaking, I write every day because it's my hobby. If I didn't make a living at it, this is what I would do with my spare time. So I read, I write. I'm reading something, I write something, I think I need to know more about that, and I go and do research, and then I slap myself and say, you've done enough research, you're off on an interesting tangent, go back and write. Um, I found that as I became a professional writer and spent more of my time writing, I read less fiction. I got more picky and selective about what I could read. Um, and when something was written badly, a lot of very popular books are in a technical sense written badly. I mean, the pacing's off, the characterization is thin. There are like abrupt reversals in the, in the nature of a character that don't really happen in real life, things like that. Um, 
that can happen because the writer has <clears throat> conviction. In a certain sense, while you're writing something, you have to believe it. It has to be real to you while you're believing it. You can tell when someone's writing something that isn't real to them while they're writing it. Uh, and it can make up for any number of technical faults. Robert E. Howard was a completely self-taught uh, author. And, you know, uh, he lived in a small town in Texas all his life. He has faults. But he believed passionately in what he was writing while he wrote it. And you can tell that and it carries you along. It gives you narrative impetus. Um, and that makes up for a lot. Now, Edgar Rice Burroughs was actually a technically not bad writer, particularly once he'd had some practice. Um, but a lot of his later stuff was fairly formulaic and it was turned out because he needed the money. And you can tell. But even so, in those books, there are flashes of really good stuff. In his early stuff, which is technically less accomplished, say Princess of Mars or Tarzan of the Apes, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you can tell that he's writing something that at some level of his mind, he deeply believes and has sort of experienced. Mm -hmm. And that, that is a quality that, you know, like no amount of technique can get you. Elspride de Camp did a lot of renditions of Robert E. Howard's stuff. He did compilations. He changed stories from one milieu that Robert Howard, Robert E. Howard wrote into another, like mostly transcribing the Conan stuff. And he did those very well because he loved, he loved Howard's work. And uh, he knew, had an encyclopedic knowledge of him. He wrote, not a, he wrote a biography of Howard. Yeah. But when he tried to write Howard Pastiche himself, despite being an accomplished writer who's written some great fantasy and science fiction, oh God, he's passed on now too, hasn't he? Um, it's terrible. It's awful. It's much inferior to both Howard's stuff and to DeCamp's own stuff that he wrote by himself, pardon me. And the reason is that he was a very different type of writer, much more cerebral, much more conscious. Howard was uh, an impetus writer. You could tell he was hearing and smelling and seeing the things he was write about, writing about while he did it. And if you combine that with raw native talent, you can get stuff that grabs people, draws them into the page, and makes them read it. Um, you know, and that's why I can I can reread Howard, or reread the best of Edgar Rice Burroughs. And even though you know, at some level, my mind is saying, "Oh God, nothing has happened for the first half of this book." I can still I can still really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. That's how books come to me. I, I, I get flashes, um, uh, bits of character. I see scenes with characters in them. Um, and I write that. Now, that isn't the whole process because, you know, the inspiration fairy is not going to sprinkle her magic dust on your head all the time. And a professional has to be able to make, make stuff up consciously that matches the rest of it. But if you don't have that, that burning need to get this vision in your head down, then you're in the wrong line of business. And most writers actually have that. It's how good they are at getting it down is the big, uh, big distinction. I'm putting it into an entire story. Do you have a story graveyard? Do you have a, a repository of stories you started and then we're like, oh, fuck this. It's not working. Well, I have a, I have a very good memory and I remember some of the very earliest stuff I wrote. When I sold my first story, I had a rejection slip burning party. Um, oh, you didn't save them to commemorate the event. No, no. I, I burned the rejection slips, not the stories. 
And uh, actually, I burned them in a German helmet my uh, father brought back from Europe. Uh, the German in question no longer needed it. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we uh, I just put all the rejection slips in and burned them. And first I got formulaic rejection slips. Then I got rejection slips like, this is interesting, but... And then rejection slips like, you know, if you changed a few things, I might want to see this again. And I got a really acerbic one from uh, Marion Zimmer Bradley. She was famous for like slipping the knife into you. And it was, it was horrible. Um, you know, it's the process. You, you, there are people who start out very good. A friend of mine, uh, Patricia Finney, who writes historicals, mm-hmm. she's written some science fiction too. Um, Gloriana's Torch um, and the Carrie series that she writes under P.F. Chisholm. She's very good. And she wrote a really good novel at the age of 17, at, at which time, by the way, she was already studying at Oxford. And I remember manfully restraining myself from strangling her to death the first time I met her after realizing that she'd, she'd written this really good novel at 17. And it was really good. Um, it was a, a retelling of the... Um, uh, Ulster cycle of the Irish myths um, and it was just like really 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 good and it was so good that I tracked the sequel down to a used bookstore in the South Island of New Zealand in a small town in Otago and it took me five years but I did it oh, wow. um, you know A Shadow of Gulls it was called really good stuff um, you know one of the benefits of this profession is that you don't have competitors you have colleagues you know, it's no, like it's you reach for the sun because there are there are taller ones around you. Well, you're you know amazing. How many people reach out to you and ask you if you read their stuff? Oh, see, that's no. the look. That's the look I was looking for right there. That if you are not me. watching the YouTube, you did not get to see the look, but you should watch the YouTube. Okay, second, I, you'll I, see the I, cat I just, too. I was just remembering doing that myself when I didn't know any better. Oh God. Did it to Carl Wagner, Carl Edward Wagner, who's a fantasist, uh, unjustly obscure now. He was a friend of Dave Drake's. Um, I met him at a convention. Uh, What I generally tell them is that, you know, sorry, I just don't have the time. And I think that is actually the best answer because it's not denigrating to them or degrading to them. No, I tell them that I did this too and that it wasn't a bad idea for me. So how often... Oh, you like this? Look at my rapid fires, Jen. You should be fucking impressed right now. You're on fire. I am not saying anything. You're on it. I am. I'm going. Um, How many authors do you meet and then go buy their books? Because you meet people at conventions. So you... like. You run into a person, they start talking to you, and you go, you know what, I'm going to go buy one of their books to see what it's like. That's happened to me. Uh, Koa, um, she's writing a series of uh, alternate histories. Um, basically, it's about a different uh, alternate space program. Mm-hmm. The Calculating Stars for, uh, was one of them. And I met her at a con. We were on a panel together. She talked about some of the process that she'd gotten the ideas for for this series, and I thought, gee, Jesus, that sounds interesting, and I'm going to go and read it. And I did, and it was really good. That's happened to me more than once, quite a few times, as a matter of fact. Do you review books? Not formally. So you buy them somehow on ebook. So you're purchasing them. There is a way for you to tag stars. Do you do that at all or not? Oh, yeah, I do that fairly often. Yeah. Okay. 
Do you actually write reviews though when you're doing that? Yeah, sometimes about a paragraph usually. Um, you know, I just say why I liked it. You know, this has breadth of characters, interesting setting, um, you know, that sort of thing. What is and your? I don't write negative reviews. I was going to ask that, and that's I have two questions. They were overlapping in my brain, which is not necessarily good at this point in time. But um, so, what is the? Will you not? Do you reach out to authors at all if you read something and you're like, "Hey, I just want to give you a little bit of feedback," or do you just let it go if it's negative? Yeah. Um, well, not negative. Um, <clears throat> I have actually sent emails to people just saying, "I read your book and I really liked it because X." Um, and, and often it's led to very pleasant conversations. You know, it's, it's... I would lose my shit if you read my book and sent me that email. <laughs> I'm just letting you know that. Like, I would be like, oh my God, it's a darling It would be a total fangirl moment. It would be let's, inappropriate. Let's put it this way. Over there on this, um, on one of my bookshelves is a framed letter from Poole Anderson about Island in the Sea of Time. <clears throat> so actually I was, I was going to hide that when he came and visited me, but I, I didn't, and he saw it, and I could tell he was a little embarrassed. But uh, yeah, that was like a total fan out experience for me. Have you had? I call it the fangirl moment where somebody's like loses their shit from meeting you. Have you had that? Occasionally, I found it a little disconcerting. I feel you, feel a temptation you, to say I put my pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. Um, <laughs> but it's an impact that you have on somebody's life. I think it's really. I've been very fortunate that I've actually had somebody do the fangirl to me and I'm not, Oh, I'm so down the prolific ranking from you. And when that happened, it was really interesting because I had that moment of going, this is fucking weird. This person's being fucking weird. But at the same time, I we went, wow, I made an impact on this person's life and I'm going to totally acknowledge mm -hmm. what she's saying because I was doing a panel uh, uh, thing on it and um, I was, I write under two different names and I was doing it as I write under Erica Lance as a horror author, but I write under a different name, Chiclet Erotica. And that was the book she had read. And she was like, wait a minute, are you this person? And I'm like, yes. And then lost her shit. She was like, oh my God, I read your book. And, it blah, 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 blah. and I watched her for like a good minute, like going crazy. And I'm like, wow, she's kind of... <laughs> And then I was like, I made an impact on this girl's life and she wants to tell me about this impact. And I just totally acknowledge the impact I made on her life because I think as authors, we have to realize what, first of all, the moment you publish a book, you're a celebrity, whether you're a big celebrity or a little celebrity, you're a celebrity. Mm -hmm. And you make a difference in people's lives. I'm sure you've gotten letters and stuff like that where people have talked about the impact you've had on them, correct? Yeah, I have. Um, some of them are charming. Some of them are strange. Um, I had a couple of people convert to Wicca because of the Dice the Fire series, which was like disconcerting because I'm a complete atheist and materialist. Uh, but I was proud of that because it was due to a character I'd written and I'd managed to get into that character's head well enough that people were 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 doing that and it was it it meant that i had successfully transposed my myself into the head of someone who was very different from me different gender different religion different philosophical approach and i was like intensely proud of that and you know it's it's a fine religion for the for a lot of people i've met a lot of charming people intelligent people who uh, who follow that um i think religion is very important for people if it makes a difference positively in their life 
yeah I'm, I'm that's the truth you don't have to believe it but you have to go okay if this makes a difference kind of like any education anything like that good for you if it makes a difference in your life and it makes you feel better great go yeah. for it exactly yeah. and you know helping people see different you know get into the heads of people who are very different from themselves is also i think a positive thing um, I don't. I don't write books about middle-aged, well, late middle-aged bobos living in the Southwest, um, and I don't go to fiction to see myself um, because that would be boring. If I want to see myself reflected, I go into the bathroom, face the sink, and flick on the light. Um, but being able to, like, one of the reasons I read is precisely um, for that shock of difference, and that's one of the things I, I try to do when I'm writing and things like that mean that I've succeeded at it. And that's a, like a really good feeling. So what is the weirdest fan moment you've ever had? Oh boy. I had that somebody, was... they wanted me to sign their breast. I did it. But... <laughs> no, I've, I actually have signed people's arms, but no, no tatas really. Um, Call out to all lesson Sterling fans <laughs> out there. Next convention. We need a boob signing. Okay, mm -hmm. done. On. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, if I inspired that, I really hope so. So, the weirdest elements were people who were surprised at who I was. I've had people surprised that my ethnicity, surprised at my gender, surprised at my sexual orientation, and a bunch of stuff like that. Because <clears throat> you know, people tend to confuse you with your book um, and your characters. Yeah, they tend to confuse you with your characters. There's a. Have you heard of Niven's Law? No, Larry Niven's Law. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry, Larry Niven's Law. Whatever. There is right. a technical literary term for people who confuse a character, the character's speech, beliefs, or actions with those of the author. The literary term is idiot. Um, <laughs> I spend a long time on in my class explaining, like we're reading Edgar Allan Poe. That does not mean that he is a murderer. You have to mm -hmm. separate your people. And it's just really hard for people to understand. Yeah, it is. But at the same time, if you can, like, if someone is terribly surprised that you're not like your character, at some level, you've done something right, too. That's true. Well, you know, I think part of the thing is that, I, I said this before, you become a celebrity when you publish something. Your name is out there, you're a celebrity. There's a lot of different avenues you can have this occur. And they have to fill the information gap and where their love is or um, emotion is attached to something because it's not like they got a bibliography of your life and they're actually getting to know you because the only thing they can get to know is your social media presence and what are you which, like there? Which is also a work of fiction. Kind no, of. totally. And that's the point is so when they come and they interact with you, you have this moment of going this is cool you think i'm this this person like this yeah. is somebody you think i am and i i think it's have you ever had anybody dress up as you we've had a couple of authors who've had people dress up as them as well that would be difficult your because, characters oh as my characters yes i've seen that a couple of times at costumes at cons that sort of thing it would be difficult to dress up as me because i am the ur nerd as far as wardrobe choices go um, and of course, that's not scarce at conventions. By the way, one of the things I like about Bubonicon is the is precisely the costumes. They are like so sincere and so mind blowing. I saw two guys who came as a boiler. 
a riveted steel boiler. The only thing protruding was their legs. And they walked around in this boiler for the entire weekend. And I thought, you know, that's dedication. Do you dress up? There were up? famous people who didn't want to be recognized. <laughs> Did you dress up? Not very often. Um, you know, maybe uh, I was at uh, a Bubonicon and I dressed in kimono because someone brought me um, some, you know, hakama and kimono and that sort of stuff. That was some, like educational too, because I'd written about people wearing that stuff. And I turned out that I was actually pretty accurate. It is extremely comfortable. Of course, you know, people also dress up in extremely like 19th century European costume. My God, the men had it bad and the women had it even worse. Uh, and you they don't need to tell tropics. me. I, I actually dressed up as an accurate um, Lestat from the vampire Lestat with the velvet. And I have a friend that makes completely period accurate costumes. I also have a Gaston costume from Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. That jacket weighs, no lie, 50 pounds. It's a wool, like, and I, she's like, I'll make it screen accurate. And I'm like, yeah, that seems like a great idea. Fucking terrible idea. By the way, cosplayers out there, do not go for accuracy. It is a terrible plan. This wool jacket weighs like 50 pounds. So terrible. We're mm -hmm. also in Florida. If you were in like Texas today, that would be perfect. <laughs> yes. I remember getting off the plane in Florida on, a, on my way to a world con. And I was, I, I immediately thought, I know why this was a slave state. I wouldn't work here unless someone beat me with a whip either. It's so hot. It's so, you know, you say that, but then in times like this, we're like, <laughs> fine. It's so fine. It's perfect. And I love it. It was 75 degrees today. And we're like, rest of the entire United States, go fuck yourself. Like, yeah. It <laughs> The only really good year-round climate I've lived in is Kenya, the uh, highlands on the equator. Oh, really? It's like spring all year long. Wow. Nice. So you're a pantser. I was actually, it's interesting. We found out from Snodgrass that um, George R. R. Martin was a pantser. Do you find it, like, that blew me away, by the way. Totally blew me away. I'm a pantser. I'm a... Jen, who does my editing, will tell you super solid pants are right here. Like, I'm good. Um, when have you tried to plot? Like, I can't. It actually totally messes up everything I'm doing, and I go way, way slower if I try to actually plot out stuff. Like, well, I can plot. I've had to do it, you know, because some publishers just require outlines. The thing is, the outline just has no solid relationship to what I actually end up writing. <laughs> So I, in, in essence, I'm writing metafiction about fiction when I, uh, when I do an outline. But, you know, it makes them happy. They've, they've punched the button, so I do it. Do you, when you're, for me, at least when I'm thinking about things, Jen's much more of a plotter than we are, so I'm skipping over anything she's about to say. So when I look at things, I know where I want the story to go. And I can, like a little movie in my head, I see some of the different scenes, but I'm like, I know I'm going to get to here, so I'm just going to drive down whatever path it is I think that gets me there. What is your process like? Actually, it's almost precisely the same. I generally have a fairly secure idea of where I want the book to end, and I know where it is at the start, and I know about the setting. But everything that happens in between more or less comes to me while my fingers are actually on the keyboard. Do you have character? So I have a lot of friends that say, oh, my God, the characters drive the plot. Like, that's the thing. And I, I'm not like the characters tell me what to do. I'm like, 
this seems like a good freaking idea. I'm going to go on this path of this thing. I find that I have an idea of the character and then <clears throat> I can't make the, I, the character's actions and thoughts and so forth are going to be consistent with that conception um, while I'm writing. It just happens. As I said, characters come to me in glimpses before I, I really get the story together. What do you think you're... Um, so we all have writing quirks. I want to call them quirks. Um, I, I I feel like my quirks actually change. I used to put the word realized in all my stuff. I've talked about that before. And then this latest book that I published, True Story, changed the name of the character a couple times in chapters. Jen loved that. It's fine. She can follow along with it. It, it doesn't matter what its name is. She fixed it. But do you, what is your quirk? What is the thing that you do that you're like, okay, I need to watch out for this? Uh, well, you're probably going to find certain types of character more interesting. And you know, there's, there's an old joke that every writer basically wants to rewrite their first book over and over again. And you've got to watch out for that certain types of characters with certain characteristics, they're going to recur, but you got to be careful that they don't recur too often. And, you know, writing a different type of character just makes you stretch yourself. You know, it, it makes, it makes you work the, the imagination muscle, like using a, a, a squeezing a rubber ball to make your hands stronger. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you I only find, see I that, that on YouTube, that particular reference to Jen squeezing. I don't even know what that is. That looks, I don't like know, it. but it lives on my desk now. And it's one of these. Oh my God. Right. It either grosses you out or it's, you can't stop doing it. I'm just thinking that's so HP Lovecraft. Right. That is very H.P. Lovecraft. Okay. Okay. You got to watch the YouTube, guys. You're not going to get it. So are there any characters that you found that you can't write? Um, no. Not that I've wanted to write and found that I couldn't write. Do you ever creep yourself out? Or, like, I write horror, so it's a little different there. Sometimes I've gone down such a dark path that I need to get up and, like, go pet a fuzzy kitty or something to be like... I'm better. I'm okay. I just creep myself out. Um, do you ever experience that with your characters or have difficulty getting in the mindset of any of them? Um, I find that the better a character is, you know, the, the more goodness they have, the harder it is to do. Uh, it's easy to, to get down with your bad self or relatively easy, or at least I find it is. <clears throat> says something about me, I suppose. It does, um, but that's okay. Continue. But writing a, like, say, a saintly character without making them boring is actually more of a technical challenge, I find. No, that makes sense. It does. When I think. Writing... Go ahead, Jen. Go ahead. Ask a question. I'm going to finish I... my line. <laughs> when you're writing, do you listen to music? Yes, I do. What what kind of are there words in your music, or is it like what kind of music? Well, sometimes I find that uh, if there are lyrics, I have to like stop that because it's it's a bit distracting. Yeah. Um, but. Most of the time, I'm just bringing up my, my. Uh, do you have a writing playlist? Yeah, I do. Share, you should share it on um, what okay, is it, Spotify, see. right? Uh, the one I've been listening to lately has uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Ballad of Lucy Jordan, Tomorrow Belongs okay. to Me, uh, Pent Pentatonix is Hallelujah. Then there are, you know, like stuff I was brought up on, 60s and 70s, Sound of Silence, um, but, you know, I like to get different 
artists redoing them, take, doing takes on them. Um, I'm a Stan Rogers fan. He's a Canadian folk singer. Um, uh, there's a, a bunch of pagan groups that I got into while I was writing Dies the Fire. I asked for, for and some of them are just really damn good. Um, uh, the Skyrim theme. Yes. <laughs> You're writing an action scene. That's yep. It's perfect. It's got lyrics, but they're in some invented language that you can't yep. understand. So yeah, um, I listen to. Uh, I try to get songs from different places. Like there's a an Afri- South African group called Jaluka that I like a lot. Um. So you know, I just put them together, and play them as background while I'm writing. Uh, or there may be a scene that I need a particular type of music for, and I go to that. Uh, you know, so I've got, oh God, I've got thousands of songs on here, thousands of tunes. Um, no, and sometimes it's just instrumental, particularly if I'm concentrating on getting dialogue right. Uh, I find that instrumental music does better. Do you cool. read your work out loud when you're writing it? Dialogue, yes. If you're going to read, if you're, that's one of the things I like that about the uh, coffee shops I frequent, they don't mind me muttering dialogue to myself and making expressions uh, while I'm doing it. Um, you know, this, this is a thin line between being an author and being a, the sort of person you avoid on the street. Um, Very thin line, very thin yeah. line. But reading dialogue out loud to yourself, if you're putting in too much or if it's not something that someone would actually say as opposed to write, I find that reading it out loud, saying it out loud it jars if it's not right so i do that a lot but you know that's one of those how did kipling put it there are nine and ninety ways of construing tribal lays and every single one of them is right Meaning, you know, i know i think that is important you talked about you have a lot of female characters mm-hmm. how when you started writing female characters how much correcting did your wife and other people had to go and go yeah a girl would never say that fair bit um, it depends. There are there are certain things that are easier to do when you're doing a, a, a character of a different gender than there are others. Uh, of course, sex is the most difficult. It's it's the it's the area in which um, uh, the the genders actually do differ most. Um, I, I, someone said to me once when I was a in my early twenties that um, one of the most difficult things. To do was describe the, the experience of the male libido from the inside to a woman, get her to believe that you were actually telling her the truth and having her not hate you when she did realize you were telling the truth. <laughs> That's awesome. <clears throat> and vice versa. But, you know, you got to meet people and listen to them and observe them. I listen to conversations all the time when I'm out. Well, when you could go out and listen to people's conversations, not, not the last year. Did you, do you, where do you get your inspiration from? I people <laughs> mail order, watch all mail the time. Order from Poughkeepsie. Um, it just comes to me. I've always had ideas for, for stories. I'll be reading something or just, you know, daydreaming. I daydream compulsively and something will sort of bite me on the ass and say, write me um, or bite me. Uh, it, it just happens. You know, one thing I found that all writers do is have long, plotted, colorful daydreams. 
Now, lots of people who aren't writers also do this, but I have not yet to meet a fiction writer who doesn't do that. I was surprised when I found out that there are lots of people who don't actually daydream that way. I thought, you know, it was something everybody does, but it's not. And it, it does seem to be one of the characteristics of people who, um, who end up as writers. No, I agree with you 100%. Okay, we are getting to the end of our, our lovely episode here. What is the next work you have coming out? Uh, Daggers in Darkness. It's coming out on March 11th. It's number four in my Black Chamber series. It's a new trilogy. I did a time skip of about five years, gave my protagonist kids, and uh, which changes their lives completely, of course. And uh, uh, started oh, the trilogy. Oh, the wife has made an appearance. Hello, wife. Hi. Hi. This, is, Hi. this is Jan. Hi, Jan. We've Hi. heard amazing and you. wonderful things about you. Yes. Oh, really? Yes. yes. He has been nothing but flattering of your awesomeness. Mm-hmm. Well, better He's than a I- sweetie. You've got to get one of these. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Our 33rd anniversary is coming up in uh, April. Oh, my gosh. Aww. Congratulations. 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 Thank you. Well done for putting up with him for that long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she hasn't murdered me yet. Oh, that's why true. would I murder you? You're adorable. Oh, <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. I am gonna super end on that note. You have been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for being on this podcast with us. Thank you. Could you do me a favor? Yes, uh, email me a couple of your titles and the names you published under because I want to take a look. Oh. Oh, absolutely. That's totally flattering. I just have one of those nerd girl moments at this point in time. Authors love other authors. Yes. I, like being a cop. Yes, it's true. But, oh my God, I'm like actually blessing right now. It's fine. Okay, so this has been Drinking with Authors. I'm Erica Lamb. Sam Piquette. And we'll see you next time. And I'm going to go and cook dinner. <laughs> <laughs>